Welcome to everybody watching through video, through our television station up here in New England or online around the world. So glad that you're joining us and EFAM's coming very soon. Excited about that. Hey, but everybody in-house, can you just let them know how much better is it to come in and celebrate Jesus in this place? Just let them know. Come on. We're welcoming them, but we're also telling them, come on in here and see us. Well, my name is Tim, and I'm the pastor here. If you're here for the first time, our prayer is that it's not the last time, but that you come on back and make Waters Church your home. And everybody who already did that said, Amen. Amen. Take out your Bibles, if you will. Go to Genesis chapter 1. Very easy book to get to today. First page of the Bible. You don't even have to turn past the first page. So just go to the first page, because that's where we're going to be, Genesis chapter 1. And if you didn't bring a Bible today, don't worry about it. The message verses are going to be up here on the screen. I want to tell you uh, a couple things. Number one, uh, it's first Wednesday this Wednesday, but we're doing a bit of an abbreviated first Wednesday. So it's 7 to 8 p.m. 7 to 8. My promise to you is that we will end the service by 8 p.m. How many know pastors love to break those promises? But I am going to do my best. And uh, so there's no prayer at 6. What we're going to do is we're going to pray. Last first Wednesday, we talked about the importance of prayer in the church. This Wednesday, we're going to pray and ask God to pray, help us in our church, in our mission. But we're going to pray for marriages. We're going to pray for families. We're going to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to fill our church so that God's will can be done in our lives. How many believe that's a good idea? Hey, we should be praying church. So we want to be a praying church. And if you're interested in helping us and joining us, 7 p.m. this Wednesday. Let me tell you where we're going with this series, though. It's called Destination Marriage. So much energy is put today into the wedding, but not enough energy is put into the marriage. Can I get an amen? And we need to think about this. So much has been cultured into us. So much has been programmed into us that it's all about the wedding. And then people, a year later, two years later, wonder, what did I do to myself? What did I get myself into? This is not what I expected. And they're disillusioned, and then they're discouraged, and before you know it, they're divorced. And there's a serious problem with marriage. So we are going to take this on in this series. Here's where we're going today. I'm going to give you, the title of my message is, A Theology of Marriage. Next week, my wife is going to join me up here on stage. The lovely Cheryl Hatch will be up here preaching with me, teaching with me. Yeah. So this week, just me, next week, her to Tim plus one. Come on, somebody. And it's wonderful to be married, to live with your spouse, to do life with your spouse, to garden with your spouse, to go to movies with your spouses. How many know it's another thing to do your job with your spouse? Pray for me. Pray for her. But it will be good. We've done this before. No, it's no issue at all. We've done this before. It's been a blessing to our church. And so she'll be joining me next week. Next week, nitty-gritty. Somebody say nitty-gritty. But this week, we're doing a flyover. We're doing 30,000 feet. What does the Bible say about marriage? And it's right there on the first page of the Bible. So you have your notes out. If you, if you haven't got your notes out, take out your bulletins. Looks like this. Uh, in the bulletins, looks like this. Actually, this is last week's bulletin. Sorry, it doesn't look like that. But this is our note page. We want you to fill in the blanks. Follow along with us. I got three points from the scriptures about marriage. The title of the message, A Theology of Marriage. If you love Bible study, by the way, this is the message for you. You'll see there, I usually have one passage of scripture underneath the title in your notes. Now today it says many, many scriptures. <laughs> so we're going all over the Bible, but we're going to start on page one. Um, we are at Death Com 3. 
when it comes to marriage in a society. The Lord gave me one word for you concerning marriage in our culture, and the word is confusion. There's a lot of confusion around marriage today. Now, there's a problem with our culture and their understanding of marriage. And if you're a Christian, let me correct that. If you're a Bible-believing Christian, you see it. But a lot of people in our culture are not Bible-believing Christians, and I totally get that. And maybe you're here today and you're not a Bible-believing Christian. Can I just tell you, I am thrilled that you're here. In fact, we're all thrilled that you're here. Can I get a witness from a Christian in this house? We're thrilled that non-Christians come to our church, and they come every week. So if you don't agree with what I say from the scriptures about marriage, I understand. I'm going to challenge you, though, stay for the whole message. I was wondering how many people would get up and walk out, but we're going to tell you what God's Word says about marriage. Our culture has muddied the waters. It has confused our children. Uh, today, your tax dollars, everybody in this house, your tax dollars are going to public schools and public universities in our states and in our towns that teach children from the age of six up that marriage can be any two people, man, man, woman, woman, male, female. They can, they're also teaching our children, our tax dollars are being paid into the organizations that are teaching our children that whatever they feel is what they are. So if they feel like they are a boy trapped in a girl's body, that's truth. So here's what's happened for the last 60 years in our society. It's actually kind of interesting because I'm old enough to remember when we used science to disprove the existence of God. So science said, we now know, we can explain thunderstorms, we can explain earthquakes, we can explain the stars, the solar system. So, you know, all those things that, that ancient people look to to kind of mythologize or deify, we now know is just the natural process of life. And so, therefore, God really doesn't exist. Or maybe there was some God that kind of started, but he's gone now, and everything's a natural explanation. So we took science to eliminate the belief in God. Here's where we're at today. Now we use feelings to discredit and eliminate science. Isn't that kind of funny? Because if a girl, or sorry, if a boy goes to a public university that your, taxpayers, that your taxpayer dollars pay for today, goes to a public university and goes to an English class. Now in English, does anybody know what they teach in English classes? See, this is our problem right there. You didn't even know. English. Maybe I'm way over your heads already. Okay. Uh, in English classes, they teach you like pronouns. And what is a pronoun? And what's a verb? And what's a noun? So, if a boy goes to an English class in a public university today, and he's got a penis, and he says, I need you to call me she or her. The professor has to acquiesce and deny science and deny biology and deny a host of other sciences and agree with the feelings of the boy with the penis that he's actually a girl. Or the university professor gets fired or suspended. 
That's where, that's where we are today. DEFCOM 3. What is it? Confusion. Now, to be fair, Christians have caused a lot of the problem. We say we're for the sanctity of man and woman marriage, but we walk outside our marriages just like the world. We get divorced just like the world. We disrespect men just like the world. You ever go to a marriage conference run by a Christian organization? I'll sum it up for you. Beat up the man. That's pretty much what they teach you. I have a friend, his name is Mark Gunger. He does a great marriage seminar. We've had him here. It's called Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage. And he's been at these Christian organization conferences for, for wedding, and I'm sorry, marriage support. And they have told him, don't pick on the girls. And he says, well, what about the men? He's, Fair game. Do whatever you want with the men, but don't pick on the women. Why do you think they do that? Because they know that the women are the ones who pay the money to get the man to the conference. It's a, it's a game. We're just like the world. And so now we're living in confusion even in the church. And you guys, I got news for you. You're looking at like the last line of defense for truth regarding male and female and marriage in our society. You're looking at the last line. Pray for me because I'm watching my friends fall like flies. I'm amazed at how susceptible to deception even the Christian church is in our culture when we're supposed to stand up for truth and now we are denying truth to just kind of play nice with a culture that we should already have known is not gonna like what we have to say when it comes to God's word. And it's time for the church and people like me, pastors, people like me and people like you, who say, I am okay with you not liking what I believe. My Savior Jesus told me you wouldn't like it. And I've already resolved in my heart that I have decided to follow Jesus. And though none go with me, still I will follow. Like we used to sing that. We used to sing that. We used to go to youth camp. We used to get all inspired. If everybody hates me, I'm still going to follow Jesus. Now I'm watching the same people who sang that not doing it. Like, what's going on? We need to stand up for truth because there's confusion. Confusion in our children's lives. Confusion, confusion in media, in pop culture. And I'm going to tell you the truth. The reason why we're at DEFCOM 3 is because God is a God of order and Satan hates his order. See, before Satan was on earth, he was in heaven. He was Lucifer. He was the highest angel. He was the worship leader of heaven. He was angel, the, the angel choir leader, if you will. And he hated where he was in God's order. Somebody say order. And he tried to subvert the order of God's order and become like God. And God cast him out. And Jesus said, I saw Satan cast from heaven to earth like lightning. Immediate, uh, immediate demotion, immediately removed from his power and his authority. And ever since then, he's been fighting God's order. Where God puts order... Satan tries to create disorder. Where God wants to put vision, 
Satan comes and puts division. Where God puts encouragement, Satan comes and puts discouragement. He is the one who tries to undo what God has done. And what God has done is good for us. And what the devil does is try to undo the good that God has done for us so that we live with the consequences of rejecting the good that God wants for us. This has been his game since Genesis chapter 1. So let's stand together and let's read. This is God's order in Genesis 1. Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in his own image. Somebody say image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. I have given every green plant for food. And so it was. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that you will speak to us and that we will see Jesus. In his mighty name we pray and everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Thank you. So God creates the heavens and the earth and then he creates the land and the sea and then he creates the stars and the sun and all that kind of stuff. And then day six comes along and he creates male and female, puts them together and gives them ownership and dominion and power and authority over all that he has created. And, and what you have to see is male-female marriage, okay, is the functional head over all of God's creation. And God's creation, which was created good, will remain good through the functional dominion of male-female in harmony and unity overseeing God's creation. So at the end of this passage, male and female are created, and the very next verse after this passage says that God saw all that he had made. This is verse 31. And God said that it was very good. All other five days of creation, it was good, it was good, it was good. Male, female, over creation. Guess what now we got? We got very good. Like God was like, I did myself now. Male, female, right? So here's point one. Marriage is the foundation for healthy humanity. Marriage is the foundation, God says, in the created order for healthy humanity. Let me show you the four benefits that we get from the created order as God intended it to be through male and female marriage. Now, some of you are single, and you're ready to check out on this series because you're like, well, I'm single. No, 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 no. You were born through a mother. And if God was good to you and life went well for you, you also had a father. And you know what I'm about to tell you is true. And some of you did not have a father, did not know your mother. You may have been a foster child. You may have been... Uh, given up or maybe raised by someone other than. And you also know that what I'm about to tell you is true. Four things that we get through God's created order. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. I just want you to see it. 
Number one, we get personhood. Write it down. There's another word for person that I want you to think about. We, we spend a lot of energy worrying about this in our day and age. Identity. This is where we have so many kids today struggling with their identity. Do you know why? Because many of them are raised by single parents or no parents. Or abused by them. Or given up by them. And that seriously undercuts a child. God says, let us, let us make man in our image. That we are made in the image of God. Our personhood, our identity comes from God. Let me tell you why this matters. Because you need to know that you matter. If you don't know that you matter to God, you will try to find a way to matter to people. And I don't know if you've done any research about this. You have if you've lived for more than, oh, let's say, three seconds. People are fickle. They will love you today. They will hate you tomorrow. It is impossible to please people. Therefore, it is impossible to get your value and self-worth from people. Therefore, go to the scriptures and learn what God has said about you. You matter to God, and you are actually made in his image. You are valuable. This is what the church brings to the world. This is what Judeo-Christianity brings to societies. Every person matters. How do we abolish slavery? Because slaves are made. Those people of a different color are made in the image of God. The church, okay, not the university. The church started the process of, of setting captives free because they knew that the image of God was in a man regardless of the color of that man. Why do we fight for the protection of the unborn? Because we know that at conception, that conception, no matter what the human conditions were around it, is not some mistake or afterthought. It is the design of a God who loves people more than anything, and that conceived child is made in the image of God. Why do we have hospitals that care for people? Listen, just think about this. When your dog gets to the point where it can't go to the bathroom on its own, you take that dog, you put it in your car, you drive it to the doggy hospital, and what do they do with the dog? They inject it with something that puts the dog to sleep. You take a human that can't go to the bathroom on its own, and what do you do? Take it to the hospital and put it to sleep? No, we do whatever it takes to make sure that that human can live as much with as much dignity and value and worth as possible. Why? Because mankind is made in the image of God and it doesn't matter what they can or cannot do. Every human on the face of the earth has value because they are made in the image of God. Where do we get that? From the word of God, the Bible. You understand what I'm telling you? Personhood, identity, find it in God. Number two, power. So he gives them dominion. I'm giving you power. Subdue the earth. It's yours. Another word for power is ability. Number three, God gives us provision. And notice how it works in the original created order, that he gave them dominion, and then he gave them the ability through the dominion to discern what's plant-yielding seed and what are, seed, what are plants for food. I could say it like this, what's for now, plant for food, and what's for later, plants for seed. So that we learn how 
listen, this is so good. I hope you understand what I'm saying. You need, if you want to get ahead in life financially, you need to learn the difference between what's for now and what's for later. A lot of people are in dire straits financially because they keep eating what's for later. Or they go to the bank and let the bank give them stuff that's for later for the bank and eat that, and then they owe them like triple the amount that they took from the bank later on. And they wonder why they can't get ahead. This is called God's design and order so that through knowing your self-worth and being able-bodied through God's blessing, you get provision. And then finally, number four, purpose. Now, here's where our culture stops. Right there. We're all about, yeah, let's find our identity. We're all about, yeah, let's have abilities and, 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 and we want people to be successful and smart and get education and all that stuff. And we want them to make a good living. But how many know you can have all those things, but if you don't know what it's for, you're empty. You can have all the money in the world. If you don't know what you're here for, you're empty. This is God's design. This is God's created order. Now listen, every parent in this house you want to do these four things in this order for your children. You do. I do. I want my children to know that they are loved, that their mom and dad think the world of them, that they are valuable, that they matter, that we will protect them. We want them to know how much they matter to us. Then we want to give them abilities. We want to empower our children. Amen? We, 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 don't, we don't want our children to not know how to do stuff. And so we teach them, and then we give them chores, and those chores become responsibilities, and then they learn through chores how to do a job. And so when that boy that you gave birth to turns 12 years old, you take him out to the shed, and you show him what a lawnmower is, and then you teach him how to start it and run it, and then you go inside and sit and watch. <laughs> Amen, somebody. Am I talking to like real parents or are you the parents that let them sit on Fortnite for 40 hours a week? And you don't care that they learn anything. Listen, I'm telling you, a good parent wants their child to learn how to do stuff so that they can earn stuff. I want my kids to know that they matter so that they can do stuff and learn how to do stuff so that they can earn stuff so that they don't bounce back to my house. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Anybody with me on this? All the men are. The women are like, well, I love my kids. Okay. <laughs> Good for you. All right. But beyond that, I want them to know that there is a divine call, purpose, meaning and significance to their existence. Where do we come? Where does that come from? It comes from God's created order. Now, here's what sin does. Here's what sin does. This is what God intends, but sin comes in in Genesis chapter 3, and the woman listens to the serpent, and they follow the serpent's voice, and it flips the script. Flips the script. And now we're living with the curse. And so God comes and says to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire, listen to this passage right here, guys. Your desire shall be for your husband, shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And there is, 
endless pages of sociological studies and research that prove that that is exactly true. There has never been a human society other than Wonder Woman's homeland, which doesn't actually exist, where women have dominated men. It has always been the strength of the man dominating women. This is a curse, by the way. This is not God saying, yay, go men. He's saying this is the consequences of following the God of this world. Let me put it another way. The God of confusion, and you will live with the consequences. You follow God's voice, order. Follow the devil's voice, disorder. You follow God's voice, clarity. You follow the devil's voice, confusion. This is where we are. And so he says to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and because you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you shall not eat it, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face, and you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So what is, what's attacked? What's attacked? In the curse, our personhood is attacked. Now we are dust. Remember image of God? You are dust. This is why people apart from God literally, usually feel empty and pointless. That's why our suicide rate is at an all-time high for our teenagers. The more we teach them to embrace whatever they feel, the more suicidal they become because we're not made to be untethered to meaninglessness. We are made to be tethered to the God of ultimate meaning and value and significance. Personhood is attacked. Power is attacked. Power is attacked. Why? Because the ground is cursed. What else is attacked? Provision, thorns and thistles. All right? What else is attacked? Finally, purpose. That purpose of filling the earth and subdue it. Now, childbearing, pain, um, thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth you by the sweat of your brow. Where is that? Right here. By the sweat of your face, purposelessness is attacked, or your purpose is attacked through the curse of sin. And on top of that, the last and final thing it says about the curse of sin is Genesis 3.24. He drove man out of the Garden of Eden and placed a cherubim with a flaming sword that turned each way to guard the way to the tree of life. See, the problem that we have in our culture is really just the exemplification of the problem with sin. And the confusion in our day and age is really just the fruits of the sin nature and the consequences of turning from the God of order and serving the God of disorder. Now, there is a host of evidence that you are presently living with that I am preaching to the choir, you agree already with what I'm saying. Because some of you were not raised by a father who loved you. And your whole life you've been trying to make up for that. Or you've turned to alcohol or drugs to numb that pain. Or some of you were raised without your mother. And so you have longed for that hug from a mother, that love from a mother. You didn't get it. You didn't get the empowerment. You didn't get the personhood. And you presently are living with the consequences. This is how therapists and counselors are making their money because they are trying to advise people who do not have value in themselves through their God. They are trying to get that through other vehicles and they always come up empty. And when you come to church and you hear the truth, 
healing starts happening in your life. But you are living with these consequences. I am living with these consequences. Our world is living with these consequences. When a child does not have biological mom and dad, it struggles. All the research proves this. They're trying to like manipulate the research. They can't. They're trying to say, no, no, it's fine, we're good. But they know, deep down, they know that the research bears this out. Uh, J.D. Unwin was a professor of English and sociology at Oxford. Why does one culture eventually overcome another culture? And over 80 civilizations, 5,000 years of human history, he found one common denominator. Here's what it was. The culture that promotes and supports male-female monogamy for life always overcomes the culture that doesn't. 80 civilizations, 5,000 years. In other words, when we restrain our sexual indulgences and do marriage God's way, our culture flourishes. When we don't, our culture collapses. So this is where we are today. This is what we're living with today. I remember uh, hearing about my cousin. She's not a believer. She has these friends. They decided to have an open marriage. An open marriage is where the couple gets permission to sleep with random strangers and still be married. So they tried it. They were about four months into it. She went outside the marriage. Guess what happened? She fell in love with the guy she went out with, left the guy that she married, and the marriage is over. Evidence of confusion from the God of confusion. I remember hearing about Jennifer Lawrence, the Oscar-winning actress who starred in a movie with Chris Pratt, who's a Christian. He was married, and in this particular movie, they had to do several love scenes, and I remember hearing about her testimony of that movie. She said, it was the hardest movie scene I've ever filmed because this guy was married, and shortly after the film comes out, his marriage comes to an end. Male and female marriage is what we are made for, and when we reject it, we destroy ourselves. Uh, I, now we have a problem in this culture. I don't know if you're hearing about this, but now we have a culture. Um, some people call it rape culture. Some people call it, you know, we, we hashtag it, me too, time's up. We have all these problems, right? And we're trying to figure out, well, what is actually consent? What is consent? And we want to know, was there consent or was this rape and sexual abuse? And there's so much confusion, we're struggling to find a solution. So the same culture who in the 1960s told us to take down our pants is now telling us to put them back on. Confusion. Now, now this is kind of funny because now they're trying to come up with written consent for, for potential sexual partners. In Sweden, they're passing a law right now that if you want to have sex with somebody, you got to have it written down that you both consent to the sexual experience. How romantic. Right? Men's Health Magazine reports that there's now this organization, this business that's selling consent kits. $5 each, and in the kit you get affirmative consent guidelines written out along with a condom and a couple of mints. I'll tell you, man, that's just taking it to a whole new level right there. 
There's an app, USA, Report, USA Today reports. There's an app called Sassy, where you can, during your date, log on to Sassy and already give consent. So what is that? If he lets you order the steak, you get to say yes? Is this what you're doing? Like, during the steak, you're, do, you're making these decisions? This is where our culture has come to. And so let me, just, let me just think about this for a second with you. Let's just think out loud. Our sexual proclivities, which we gave free license to, has caused so many problems that we now need something to be written down so that people have permission to have sex with each other. Do you know what the church has been calling that thing we've been writing down for hundreds of years? A marriage license. Come on, somebody. Do you see why? Do you see why I preach the word of God? Do you see why we can't compromise on God's standards because it's just a matter of time before the culture says, oh man, we made a big mistake. What was the church doing? Oh, that's what we'll do. And we need to stand for truth or we will fall for a lie and destroy ourselves. Write this down in your notes. When we mess with God's design, we get destroyed. Not others, we. When we mess with God's design, we get destroyed. And so you have to understand that this is why Jesus comes, to give us God's plan for saving us from our confusion. Here's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, 14. Look at this. Adam, the first man, is a, say the word, everybody. Symbol. Adam is a, say it again. Symbol. Say it really loud. Adam is a symbol a representation of Christ wait a sec I thought Adam was just our great 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 granddaddy no 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 the Bible says he's a symbol now here's what a symbol is a symbol points you to the real thing right another translation says he's a picture what you see in Adam is actually going to be fulfilled in Christ who is yet to come and he goes on in verse 15 of that same verse, where there is a, but there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of Adam, the Bible says, brought death, but the gift of God's wonderful grace in Christ brought forgiveness through Jesus Christ. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. So what does Christ do? Christ comes to undo what Adam did. Now let's talk about Adam's marriage for a moment. Adam's marriage. The Bible says that Adam names all the animals, and he's running around the garden, and he's got nobody to talk to because none of the animals will talk to him. And uh, God says, it's not good for this dude to be alone. He is laying around, scratching himself, running with scissors. He's a mess. He's just, a, he needs help. So God, look what it says in Genesis chapter 2, 21. So the Lord God caused the man God, oh, sorry, caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took the ribs and closed up one of, the, one of his ribs and closed up his place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made or fashioned into a woman and brought her to the man. Why the details? Like, why? You know, you know how God made man? You know how God made Adam? He took dust, he squeezed it together, and went. Why not just do that again with another piece of dust? And no, because Adam is a what? Symbol of Christ. I'm going to prove it to you 
from the Bible that this passage means something for us today. Ephesians chapter 5, 31. Therefore, Paul's saying, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's quoted directly from Genesis chapter 2 when God brings the man and the woman together. Then Paul says in the very next verse, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Wait a second. You mean that Genesis chapter 2 is actually talking about something more than just male-female relationship? Yes, it's talking to a spiritual reality for people who will see their eyes open to what God is planning to do for them. And what you see is Adam gets a bride from his own side. And this is a picture of Christ and the church. Point number two, marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. So let me show you how this goes down. We just celebrated Easter last weekend. Let me tell you what happened on Good Friday, 2,000 years ago. Jesus hangs on a cross. And the rule was, don't leave any bodies up on the cross during Passover. So they order the legs to be broken of the three men who are on that cross, one of which is Jesus. They come to the first man, they break his legs. They come to the second man, they break his legs so that they'll die quicker and they can take him off the cross before Sabbath. But they come to Jesus and they see he's already dead. So they don't break his bones, thus fulfilling scripture that he can count all his bones. But there's something else that they do. The soldier takes a spear, John 19, 34, and he pierces where? His side. And at once there came out what? Blood and water. The blood which washes away our sins and the water which brings the water of life, new life in Christ. To who? The church. The second Adam, like the first Adam, has his side opened to produce a bride. Are you following me? Then they lay that boy, Jesus, in the tomb. He's in a deep sleep, you could say. That's another word in the Bible for death, sleep, deep sleep. In the morning, Mary shows up. She comes to the tomb early. She's there early, and she's ready to embalm him a little bit more, and she finds the tomb is empty. She runs and tells the disciples. They go and look. Then they run away. She stays by the tomb, and suddenly she sees a man standing there, and she turns to him. She says, what's going on? She turned around. The Bible says in John 20, verse 14, she turned around and saw Jesus standing but did not know that it was Jesus. And then verse 15, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener. I just love that line, because Adam was a gardener. Now Jesus is in the same place, a garden, and she's thinking, you're a gardener. And she said, sir, if you've taken him away, where have you laid him, and I will take him away. And verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, what happens at the cross is a fulfillment of what happened to Adam in the garden. Jesus is laid in a tomb, in a garden tomb. He is taken from his side, comes the bride, his church. We are washed in the blood and filled with the water of the Holy Spirit. He is raised to life through the Father's power and the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Father brings his bride to his son. And the two are united as a picture of this one fact, that what Adam did and caused confusion to all of us, Jesus presently is undoing and bringing truth and life to all of us and if you know him the truth shall set you free the truth shall ground you in God's order in God's power in God's promises this is why the Bible writes stuff like this that we read it and we're like what is this about it's about Christ 
coming to bring order out of our chaos and confusion. So number three, and finally, marriage is the promise of our eternal hope with God. This is what the Bible is showing us about marriage. It's teaching us about who we are, what God has come to do. So I'm going to read another passage of Scripture, and it's a Christmas passage, and it's going to feel weird. It's like listening to Christmas music in July. I get it. But just bear with me, because I want to show you something from this passage. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been, what's the word, everybody? Betrothed to Joseph. And then notice the wording here. Before they came together. So betrothed, but before they came together. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. This is so cool. In the first century, there were three steps to a marriage. The first step was betrothal. And so the man would find a young maiden, and he would work it out with her parents. I'll give you three goats and two donkeys for your daughter. And the father would say, sounds good to me. You look like an upstanding man. Handshake, promise, betrothal, engagement. We do it with a ring today. They did it with goats back then. Then the man would go away for a year. Step two, and he would prepare his home. Listen to this, ladies. Listen to this, young ladies. Listen to this, teenage ladies. The man who loved the lady would go away and work for a year to prepare his home for the lady. If he doesn't have a job... (laughs) Are you following me right now? He's not the one. If he lives with mom and dad, he's not the one. If he bounces from job to job and job to job, if he's thankful, listen, very, this is just, this is nothing, I'm not preaching, I'm just giving you advice right here, but listen. If he gets excited when his union lays him off, are you following what I'm saying to you? He's not the one. So, The man goes away for a year. Back to preaching. The man goes away for a year. Prepares his home. Once his home is ready for his bride, guess where he goes? Back to the father's house. And says, I'm ready to take your daughter into my home. His friends come with him, singing and celebrating as they join a, this is the wedding procession in the first century Judaism. And a wedding procession would follow from the father's house, the daughter's father, the the, the girl's father's house, to the new house prepared for by her soon-to-be groom. And they would go into his tent and consummate the marriage. They had sex after everything was built. And then they would celebrate, the Jews would celebrate for seven days. How many know the Jews know what they're doing with this kind of stuff? We get like four hours and regrettable pictures on Facebook, right? Seven days celebration, party, this is a new family, and the marriage would be consummated, fulfilled. So, the Bible says that Mary is betrothed, and before they came together sexually, before the consummation and fulfillment, she gets Jesus. Did you, did you hear that? Between the promise and the fulfillment, Mary gets Jesus. Let me tell you how this works out for us. We, in Christ, have a promise. We have been betrothed. Step one in your notes. 
We are promised to God. The promise comes from Jesus. I will take you. I love you. I want to bring you out of where you live. And so the Bible says in 2 Corinthians like this, I betrothed you to one husband to present you a pure virgin to Christ. This is biblical marriage language to speak to our life in Christ. Step two, preparation. Didn't Jesus say something like this in John chapter 14? He said, I go to prepare a place for you. Remember, it was a year in first century Judaism. The Bible calls the time between Jesus' first coming and second coming God's year of favor. That's where we are right now. And then step three, fulfillment, consummation, Revelation chapter 21, two through three. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Back up to Mary. When did she get Jesus? Mary got Jesus between the betrothal and the consummation. Where are we in cosmic human history? We are living between the betrothal, God's promises, and God's consummation. And if you hear the voice of God and open your heart, the Holy Spirit comes into you and brings Jesus with you to get back everything that Adam lost for you in the garden. That's where we are. This is God's year of favor for you to save you out of the confusion of this world. And listen, this is the good news. You don't have to be a virgin. You don't have to be pure. You don't have to be spotless. Why? Because this husband actually bore the consequences of our sins on that cross. He's the one who paid for us to be made pure and holy and righteous. And his offer to you today is, will you come? Will you come home with me? This is why marriage between a man and a woman matters. It's literally preaching the gospel. It's literally telling the world what God is up to. And so let's just sum this up. Last verse I'm going to share with you. Ephesians chapter 1, 7 says, In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ, write it down. In Christ, the Bible's saying, we get back personhood. We get back our identity, what Adam lost, redemption. In Christ, we get back power. What does Paul say? Wisdom and insight. In Christ, we get back provision, the riches of his grace. In Christ, we get back purpose. Not our purpose, his purpose. The offer is on the table to come out of your father's house, the father of lies, the father who has filled you with confusion, the father who has disillusioned you, the father, the father that has abused you to come out of his house and through the precious blood of Jesus Christ who laid down his life for you, follow your Savior to his house and live in harmony with God forever. The question is, will you say yes?